Moving on to our first speaker, Associate Professor Natalie Sims. Natalie Sims runs the Bone Cell Biology and Disease Unit at the St Vincent's Institute, where she works on understanding communication pathways of the cells within the skeleton and how they change bone structure. She prefers working in cell culture and mouse models rather than running a pigsty. Natalie. Thanks a lot. Um, so the person I'm going to talk to you tonight is a guy called John Belkia, who was a surgeon in the 18th century, and he made one of the fundamental discoveries of bone biology, which is that what you eat gets into your skeleton. So let me begin. London in the, in the 18th century was at the forefront of surgical innovation. It was a time of heady investigation, experimentation, and some peculiar but very important discoveries. John Belkia, the subject of my talk tonight, was head of surgery at Guy's Hospital, having worked there since the age of 20 after completing his apprenticeship with the famed William Cheselden. So already you can tell there's something quite different about surgery back then if by the age of 20 he was already seeing patients. Surgery in the 1750s wasn't for the faint-hearted. This is before anaesthetic, it's before painkillers, it's before sterilisation, before germ theory, and just in case you missed it, it's before anaesthetic, okay? Surgery, no anaesthetic. The type of surgeries that they did went so far as doing cataract removal without anaesthetic, so take that on board. The sort of things that people used to go through, as, as well as cataract removal without anaesthetic, um, is example by Belkia's first publication in the Proceedings of the Royal Society which was done while he was still working with Cheseldon. And this was the case of a woman who underwent 57 surgeries, no anaesthetic, to relieve a condition which is water on the ovaries. During those 57 surgeries, she had um, 60 litres of water removed from her abdomen. Surgery was a thing of last resort back then because of the lack of painkillers and because of the incredibly high rate of infection. The mortality from surgery was roughly 50% in this time we're talking about. So after draining the 60 litres of water from her abdomen over those 57 surgeries, she eventually died. And to give you an idea of how advanced medical theory was at the time, the reason why they thought she'd developed water on the ovaries was because on a hot day, she had removed her clothes and rather than putting her whole body into a pool of cool water, put only her feet in. So remember this next time you're at Fitzroy Pool and you just want to put your feet in the water. You could end up with 60 litres of water on your ovaries. So obviously a surgeon at the time really needed a strong stomach, but they also needed to be physically strong. The most common surgical procedure of the 1750s was amputation largely because of a broken limb or because of an infection. And a surgeon's reputation depended entirely on how fast they were, because the faster you did the amputation, the less pain was suffered by the patient. So there was a lot of um, record setting at the time, and if you go back into the records, you can see that the fastest person at the time was a surgeon in New York who could amputate at the thigh in nine seconds flat. <laughs> So Belkia was a large and very strong man and the story is often told of a patient who at the end of the consultation on being told that there was nothing wrong, rather than reaching into his pocket for money, drew a pistol and held it to Belkia's chest demanding money. Belkia negotiated to give him a reduced sum of money and his gold watch. 
and while the man was distracted, physically restrained him and held him until his arrest by London's finest. An interesting postscript to this story is that Belchior sent food to this prisoner every day. And I don't know if that reflects that he was a really charitable guy or that he just had a really dry sense of humour. <laughs> Belchior was famed for his ability to fix the fractured humerus, that's this bone here. And this might have related to his particular expertise as an anatomist in that particular area. So a lot of the publications at the time were really to do with describing the anatomy. His second publication in the Royal Society Proceedings, which he published when he was 27, describes in exquisite and slightly morbid detail the anatomy of a patient's arm which had been torn off by a mill. So the man had been pulled into the cogs of the mill, his arm had been taken off, he recovered and Belkia both described the anatomy of what was remaining on the patient's body and the arm itself. And I should remind you that this was at a time when surgery began to be performed in theatres so that others could learn, and this is why surgery happens in a theatre. We don't have audiences anymore, but there used to be audiences so that people could learn. And this particular paper ends with these really charming words. And for the further satisfaction of the society, I have brought the man himself and likewise the arm, just was torn from the body, which has been kept in spirits ever since the accident happened. And by the way, if you like and you want to do a Google search, you can actually see some really lovely etchings of the particular patient with his arm fetchingly arranged alongside him, where you can see it was torn off, quite bizarre. And this leads me to Belkia's greatest discovery, which was also an entirely accidental discovery, but it had nothing to do with his clinical practice. So this is how I like to imagine the scene. A 1750s dining room, Belpia is at the table making witticisms for which he was famous with his artistic friends for which he was also known to um, support by being a patron of the fine arts. The maid serves a plate of boiled pork and some side vegetables. Between mouthfuls and his witty conversation, Belkia stops and begins poking around at his food. And he's noticed that the bones of his pork are a very deep shade of red. But everything else about the pork looks and tastes entirely normal. So imagine what happens. He calls the serving maid to him, Mary, this pork is delicious, but can you please send for the cook? And then the cook arrives very flustered. Mrs Smith, how did you prepare this meat? Why, I just boiled it as usual. Then why are the bones so red? I often imagine the next scene as being something like um, an old A.A. Milne poem, which maybe some of you know, where the king asked the queen and the queen asked the dairymaid, could we have some butter for the royal slice of bread? They continue going, talking to the next person and the next and the next. And eventually, Belkia would have had to have talked to the person who had fed the pigs, not the cook at all. And when he did so, Belkia made a very fundamental discovery about the skeleton, which forms the basis of work that we still do today. And his discovery was that the food that we eat ends up in our bones. You will know this. You will know that when you drink milk, the calcium gets into your skeleton. But back then, this was not known. How do the red bones of Belkia's pork dinner tell us that this happened? So in the 18th century, animal husbandry was also at its early stages like surgery. Pigs were still being fed whatever waste products the household had to give them. Belkia's pig, and I still can't work out why this was the case, but his pig had, or her pig, maybe it was a her, had been fed its usual food mixed with bran. And the bran had been boiled in a copper with printed cotton. Belkia's pig 
had been fed bran that had been boiled with red cloth. And the red cloth had been dyed with a root called madder root. And this is the sort of root that produces the red that's still used to make the red dye that's in Turkish rugs. So if you can imagine that really, really deep red. Um, and we still use the active component of this dye, which is alizarin red, um, in things that we do in the lab today. So Belkia then went on to just have an absolute field day. He started feeding pigs different things and collecting the bones and sawing them open and looking to see what happens. He found that the pigs that had been fed with bran boiled with lead alum had purple bones instead of red. He cut through them and he noted that the colour permeated right through the bones, not just in some parts. But importantly, whatever he did, he could never remove the colour. It didn't matter what he soaked the bones in, it didn't matter how much he boiled them, the colour was right within the matrix of the bone itself, incorporated into the mineral. And the colour was only in the bones. So this was the first evidence that substances in our food are supplied through the bloodstream to the skeleton and is incorporated right into the very hard substance of bone itself. Within 20 years of Belkia's discovery, the Scottish surgeon John Hunter used this method to carry out some more studies of the way bone grows, and he again did this in pigs, and he had a whole colony of them going. By varying the times at which the pigs were given the dyed food, he could measure how rapidly the groans were, bo the groans were bowing, the bones were growing, mm. and he showed that it was possible to study the way bones actually change shape, that they don't grow continually. It was always known that the skeleton has to grow. You can look at a child as it grows into an adult. You know that it grows. But the study of the way it changes shape really began with Belkia's discovery. This is a process that we still don't understand perfectly, but we still use methods like Belkia's. What we do now is we can inject mice with fluorescent labels, and they also become incorporated in the bones. We can cut sections and look down the microscope, something Belkia couldn't do. And we can measure how fast the bone grows and where it goes and what changes the ability of bones to grow. But rest assured, unlike Belkia, we don't eat our experimental subjects anymore. John Belkia died suddenly at the age of 80. One story of his death, which is probably apocryphal, but I quite like it, ends with him collapsing on the floor and saying to his manservant when he tried to lift him up of the floor, no, John, I'm dying. Fetch me a pillow. I might as well die here as anywhere else. Thank you.